Hi there, my name is Mary Kilolea. Welcome to the To Be Boulder podcast, providing career insights for the next generation of women in business and tech. To Be Boulder was created out of my love for technology and marketing, my desire to bring together like-minded women, and my hope to be a great role model and source of inspiration for my two girls and other young women like you. Encouraging you guys to show up and to be bolder and to know that anything you guys dream of, it's totally possible. On To Be Bolder, you're going to hear inspiring stories of how successful women, some I know, some I just want to bring to you guys, and they're going to talk about their careers in business and tech, and they're going to tell us their stories about their passion and their journey and their challenges, and we're going to learn some of their advice along the way too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Dr. Nancy Salisbury. Nancy is a very caring and brilliant woman who is often referred to as Dr. N. She is a board-certified gynecologist who has been in practice since 1987. Dr. N is a surgeon skilled in minimally invasive procedures and vaginal surgery, often referred to many in her field as the vagina expert. Her special interests in female sexuality and interpersonal development make her a leader in female care services. Over the years, I have had the pleasure of working with her professionally, as well as being one of her patients. Dr. N has many great qualities and skills, but the one thing that makes her exceptional in my eyes is her genuine, caring, and nurturing spirit that she shares with each of her patients. Nancy, it is so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. It's great to be here, Mary. Thanks for inviting me. All right. So I'm super anxious for everyone to learn about your work. Can you tell us what you do and how you got started? I'm a doctor. I'm a, my specialty is in gynecology, and I have a private practice in Lake Oswego, Oregon, where myself and another associate take care of patients. We also do surgery for women, and um, I'm board certified in my field of both obstetrics and gynecology. And how did you get started? I mean, like when you were in high school, did you always dream and know that you were going to be a doctor or was it something that like in college, how did you get started to go down this path? Well, I, I tell you, I, um, I often ponder that question because uh, it's been such a great career trajectory for me and uh, in our family anyway, there, was, there were no physicians. They didn't have any doctors in my family where I said, I want to do that. So um, to my mother's credit, she exposed us to a lot of different things. She exposed us to music, to to dance, to sports, and uh, she put she exposed me to a volunteer position in a hospital um, in high school. I was a volunteer, and most of the girls in that, you know, we were candy stripers back then. Uh, we were all women. Most of the young women that were candy stripers went on to nursing school, and I remember when I was working in the hospital as a candy striper. I looked at all the positions. Uh, I loved doing it. I did it every Friday night and I, it ignited something in me that uh, nothing else ever had. And yet when I looked at the difference between what the nurses did, the pharmacists and the doctors, I told my mother, I said, I want to be a doctor. Hmm. And that's where it all started. That's fantastic. And I know, I, I know you've been a role model, obviously, to your, your daughter as well. So tell me about the women who come to your practice. What kind of services are they looking for? Uh, I think uh, in healthcare, women in general, we start, you know, young women start with usually family planning or contraceptive services, but just general wellness exams of just saying, I want to stay healthy, be healthy, and have a, a strong body, mind, and spirit. And they come to us to try to get help 
mostly with their health. Uh, and it, it usually starts somewhere around teens to 20s, and we take care of women through all seasons of life. Uh, I do not do obstetrics, but I used to. So we take care of women all the way into their late 80s and 90s. How did you hone in on this specialty? To be an uh, OBGYN doctor, obstetrics and gynecology is to sort of comprehensively take care of women um, through childbirth and all health and surgical specialties. And uh, going through med school, I think one of the most daunting decisions you make as a, a young doctor is what am I going to do? What what kind of doctor am I going to be? And um, in medical school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But uh, I knew once I did surgery um, in medical school and I was gifted at surgery that I said I want to be a surgeon. And as a sidebar, when I tried to be an orthopedic surgeon, I remember asking them if I could do that uh, back when I did it in the 80s. They said I was too small, too petite, and Mm. too feminine to be an orthopedic surgeon. So, uh, and, And women weren't going into general surgery much, so it was really the main surgical field I could go into at the time that I was being educated. In hindsight, it was a privilege because after I saw the birth of the first baby, I went, that's something I want to do. So the the beauty of birth, the combination of surgery and um, being able to empower and take good care of women. I also had a formative experience as a patient. I remember as a 16-year-old, I had a physical exam once done by a gentleman, you know, much my father's age, and he probably had eight different sheets all over my body. I felt very self-conscious. And I remember at the end of that exam thinking I could have done better than that to put me at ease. So there were a few things where I thought, you know, I think I could take better care of women than that. And then the combination of surgery and birth and putting it all together made a specialty that I was attracted to. What's the biggest misconception women have about themselves and their own bodies? Um, You know, when I think about that question, I do have the privilege of visiting with women every day. You know, I see 15 to 20 women a day and I have for almost 30 years. So I get to listen to women. and. I think what strikes me the most about women is that as a whole, women don't feel like they're enough. I initially thought, you know, we're all worried about our weight, but even women that that are beautifully made and wonderful figures find a way not to feel good enough in another area of their life. So I, I think striving for perfection is an, is an illusion and that I think I hear from women all the time that in one or the other area in their life, they just don't feel like they're enough for somebody or themselves. And that's what strikes me. The most. That's what I like to help teach women, that we can feel like we're enough, just the way we are. As you know, talking about vaginas has been taboo in the past. And I think the mm-hmm. way that you educate women about their bodies and their options for health and aesthetics um, is so empowering. What do you wish for women that comes to their bodies? This has taken a while through my career to realize that this part of the female body has a certain stigma to it that isn't necessary. Um, You know, I think genitals in general, people kind of shy away from and are to talk about it. And yet it's just another part of our anatomy. You know, we don't have a problem talking to a doctor about ears and noses and faces and mouths. But when we start talking about our vagina or a bladder or something is or bowels or any of that people feel ashamed and shut down and 
my goal for women is to be able to talk openly about whatever is on their mind about their bodies without apology and not to be embarrassed, you know, and if I can put them at ease with their own body, maybe they can feel at ease with their body with somebody else. Now, I know your website does a great job of explaining the different services that you provide and, and you're big on YouTube and you've got YouTube videos on all sorts of different services, but can you talk to a vaginal rejuvenation and the different services around that just for the audience that might not be familiar sure. with these type of services? Sure. And this, this topic of vaginal rejuvenation is always a, a bit controversial because People say it isn't necessary or they trivialize it or they think it's, you know, pop culture. When in reality, um, to rejuvenate someone, I just gave a lecture on this the other day, is to just make it new, to make it feel new again. And vaginal rejuvenation is descriptive. It's just to say, hey, I want something to feel better that has been affected by aging or childbirth. And unapologetically, I think women are allowed to say something doesn't feel right and I'd like it to feel better. So, you know, I think for the women audience out there, I'm sure you've all seen the bumper sticker that says, well-behaved women don't make history. (laughs) Uh, I think sometimes you have to have an idea that goes just a little bit against the grain if you're going to make an impact in life or a splash. You know, I have a strong belief that women's voices around this particular subject deserve to be heard, and yet uh, it's still somewhat minimized, and yet I was willing to step out and say, no, that is not true. This should not be minimized. It's relevant, and women need help in this area, but I can tell the audience that it has not been an easy march, nor is it popular to be that woman trying to go a little bit against the grain of the general medical community. Uh, And I still feel that way some, but it's changing ever so slowly. But to rejuvenate the vagina is to say, uh, my vagina's changed because of some event, whether it be a traumatic event. I mean, it could be something as egregious as a rape. It could be childbirth. It could be a relationship that didn't go well and you want to start over in your life. Uh, There's a lot of reasons to want to make something new again just like turning the page. And I think if our anatomy has been affected by whatever we've been through, we're allowed to get a do-over. And also in your clinic, you you offer services around hormones and balancing and just women's health care in general. What are some of the services within that segment that I want to make sure the audience knows that you, you offer? Yeah, um, I think, you know, hormones are mysterious for women and men. You know, I think it's one of those things in our life that affects us, uh, how we feel, our personality. Um, And in a woman's life, there's so many passages we go through where hormones fluctuate. You know, one is puberty, obviously. Uh, One is childbirth, uh, pregnancy. One is menopause. And so through each of these passages, the hormones are fluctuating and Sometimes women and people need help with how to handle them when when they're a little too extreme. So whether it be PMS in adolescence, whether it be postpartum depression, whether it be the hormonal fluctuations of pregnancy, could be menopause where um, women don't know if they need hormones or not. Uh, I don't think it's real clear cut to all of us when we know whether we need something. So to have a sideline coach around, you know, what's normal, what isn't normal, is there help, should I take help, all those things, that's one of the areas 
we help women navigate their lives. Well, that's awesome. So being a doctor requires you to have enormous responsibilities. And of course, being a business owner has its own, you know, set of responsibilities and challenges. What made you decide to take on the additional challenges of opening up your own practice? Well, Mary, that, that was not an easy decision for a physician because in general, as physicians, we're not trained to run businesses. That's not part of our training. We're trained to care for people. But um, I had been in practice for over 20 years where I wasn't in charge of my own business and finances and profit and loss statements and employee management. And I felt that the the care that I was delivering was somewhat impacted by the people managing me. And so some of the choices I had to make or wanted to make were um, affected by the fact that I was under a broader management system. And I decided that for me to take off and do certain aspects of my career that I felt passionate about, I had to be in charge of it because somebody else might tell me I couldn't do it. So uh, I wanted to, if you will, I wanted to drive the bus so I could go any direction I wanted to. Is there a way to say you have a typical day? I mean, I, I imagine that you never have two days that look the same, but what are some of the roles and responsibilities that you do from day to day? I would say since I've owned my own business um, and since I've given up obstetrics, my typical day is a little bit different. But uh, today in my day-to-day walk, I try to keep my work to four days a week. I try to not work three days a week. So I have a reasonable work-life balance and I have time for self-care. My work day starts somewhere, depending on whether it's a surgery day, between 7.30 and 9 in the morning. I get home between 6 and 6.30 at night, four days a week. And then I have all responsibilities, so I'm always available to patients after hours by phone, but that isn't too laborious. It's a privilege, actually. It doesn't affect my quality of life. I don't hear from people that often, but as a physician, our responsibility is to be available to our patients, which is some of the stress that doctors feel more than other industries where you can actually turn your phone off. We can't do that. So that might fall in one of the cons. Well, I, I mean, I guess you look at it as a pro because you feel it's part of the, the service or responsibility that you have as a doctor. But what are some of the pros mm-hmm. and cons of being a doctor business owner? I think a positive being a physician is, like I said, what a privilege it is to be such an important person in people's lives. And they get, they give us their personal information so freely and so trustingly that I... Uh, it's an honor. It really has been an honor. And, um, and I get to do amazing things. I, I've learned how the entire human body works. I thought the first day I got into med school, I thought I'd won the lottery because I got to find out every part of the human body and diseases and treatments. Um, so just having access to that knowledge, to me, you know, someone who loves to learn was such a privilege. Um, I got taught surgery, which isn't everybody that gets to go into the human body and work in it and take things out and sew things up. And um, it's just an amazing craft, if you will, that not everybody gets to do. Uh, The con side is, and it's an enormous stress to carry that kind of responsibility. You know, after someone does an operation, you know, when I do surgery, I think of those people for weeks. I don't stop thinking about them until I know they're okay. Um, I carry them with me all the time. Or if there's a surgical complication, you know, we take it very hard. They happen. Uh, we get through them, but it takes its toll, you know, in childbirth when we 
lost babies or there was a birth defect um, that takes its toll emotionally on a physician terribly. It's a, it's a terrible burden sometimes to see tragedy that people don't, you know, touch. And yet watching a birth is the opposite side of that, the exhilaration of birth. So um, there's a cost to, to how many years of training it takes. You know, if I'm ever playing Trivial Pursuit, people go, gosh, you don't know much about anything but medicine. I go, that's right, because <laughs> all, all I ever did, I lost a decade of my life studying. I never had a television. I never read a newspaper. So, you know, there's a certain part of my life that I gave up to become a doctor. So there's some sacrifice. Technology has evolved so greatly over the last, you know, decade, two decades. It's constantly evolving. What has mm-hmm. technology done or enabled you to do for your patients today that you couldn't have done in the past? Well, first of all, the access to information. You know, mm-hmm. if, if uh, in med school, we realized at first we had to memorize everything. Like it wasn't, you know, if we couldn't remember what branch of what artery was, you know, in what order, we had a problem. We had to go find a book. And now, I mean, if, if for any reason we're lacking information, the computer is not very far away. We can look up medications. We can look up differential diagnoses. There are all sorts of things at our fingertips that just need to be available. If I can't remember the side effects of a medication, I can look it up immediately. So I think the tremendous surge of access of information so quickly has made practicing medicine uh, in a way, less stressful. It used to be you had to remember everything. Now it's just right there at our fingertips. On the other hand, there's so much more information, it would almost be impossible to know everything. So I think it's been a good thing. The other is electronic medical records. You know, yeah. I watched that change. We went from paper to computers. Uh, in some ways, it's been positive that you have access to information quickly if you need to, if you can get into a patient's chart that was at the hospital from your office. On the other hand, we used to be able to dictate and not even worry about a chart. We never saw the charts. We just sort of talked into a machine and ended up in the chart. And we used to, we used to be able to give verbal orders to a nurse. And now we're not allowed to do that. Everything has to be inputted in the computer. So, And then surgical technology has gone through the roof since I've started practice. I mean, we used to open every woman's abdomen to do a hysterectomy. And now we're operating through five millimeter ports and using robots. and very few women have a big incision on their abdomen anymore. So it's been it's been a privilege to watch that too, the sort of boon of technology and how it's impacted surgery. Isn't there something that you can do where you sit on a machine for incontinence or kegels to yep, help you improve we that? Have, we have a chair now. Again, I mean, it used to be two, 30 years ago, women barely knew what a kegel was and we could tell them to squeeze a muscle and that was about it. I now have a chair in my office that will do 11,000 kegels in 28 minutes just sitting on a chair fully clothed with a magnetic coil that when it moves it creates an electromagnetic field that makes muscles contract. So uh, the innovation is astounding that you know things are moving very quickly. If we see a problem the innovators get on it and solutions appear very quickly. That's what I love about technology is is real life improving tools like that that change people's oh, lives. I mean, and I, I just think, unfortunately, there's so many women out there that still don't even know these exist or are available to them. Right. 
So right. uh, that's, again, one of the reasons I'm so happy that you're on here as a guest, because part of this show is empowering women and educating women. Uh, ha- have you had mentors that have helped you along the way? And how did you go about building those relationships? When I think of a mentor, it's an interesting term because I I make it an effort now to try to mentor young women. I, I have a few women that I've have reached out to me to say, hey, I think I want to be a doctor. And I spend time with them, talking to them and trying to help them just think through things when they're making decisions and seeing if they're on the right path. I, I didn't have a lot of that uh, growing up. As a matter of fact, in my family, like I said, there were no doctors. And when I told my parents I want to be a doctor, they tried to steer me towards nursing just because, you know, it was the 60s and 70s. But um, I would say my people that stand out for me as a mentor are the chairmen of my department that believed in me. When I felt affirmed by other doctors where they would give me the nod, like you're doing a good job. Um, They were little. The mentor relationship for me was more about just being affirmed for what I was doing and that I was doing a good job. I was starving for that. And when I got it, I picked it up and I ran with it you know, especially from people that I respected. So if people I respected, uh, there was a chairman at OHSU that's nationally recognized, and he said, there's something special in you, I would keep doing it. You know, those little words would, I would carry him with me. Another chairman in Kansas did the same thing. He said, keep doing what you're doing, you're going to change the world. I remember he said that to me. Uh, And I hung on to it. It's just sometimes it isn't just side by side mentoring, but it's somebody believing in you. And giving you a gift that you carry with you. Do you think those gentlemen know they, that you kept those nuggets with you? Absolutely not. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they have any idea how much they impacted me. They probably thought they were just one of many, but um, I think young people need other people to believe in them and to encourage them. I think words of encouragement are hugely important when we feel kind of lost in what direction to go. Like if someone sees something special in you and they tell it to you that I see that in you and you want to run with that, that's a wonderful thing to do for a young person. And um, I hope to do that for people. When, when I see it, when I see talent, I try to let women know I see it in them because sometimes we don't see it in ourselves, you know? Right. Absolutely. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your career? I think in medicine, The first greatest challenge I had to deal with was learning how to deal with um, death when no one prepared me for it, you know, when a patient dies, when a baby dies. Um, Medicine is is not a specialty where people sit down and ask you how you're doing. You know, how did you handle that? How do you feel? Um, It's a very lonely profession when somebody dies or a baby dies. And... uh, that took a lot of resiliency to be able to understand that that's just part of the job. But it, it wasn't easy. When I was first in early in my career as a very deeply feeling woman, um, I wish there had been more resources for that. Um, and if I could make a difference, I'd probably want to help medical students learn. You know, because when you're young, you don't usually deal with tragedy like that until you get older. But uh, it was difficult in training. Um, I also was a single parent for uh, while I was going through my career, and I'd say 
that was probably one of the most difficult parts of my career was juggling being a good mother and being a good doctor at the same time. Yeah, that's hard for any career. I can't even imagine the additional constraints and pressures you must feel as being a surgeon as well as a mother. Yeah, that was very difficult. And I, I hope there are, you know, some support systems along the way for women in business that need help and support to know how to get through it because mothering is its own career, you right. know, but to challenge, challenge two careers of both mothering and being a physician or a business owner or whatever women want to do, um, it requires some incredible balance and in knowing, you know, to give enough to both, but you can never give everything to both. So that was, that was difficult. So I think we just kind of touched on it, but is there specific advice that you would give someone looking to become a doctor or a business owner? I mean, what would you want to say, hey, first think about these three tips or these three things? The one thing no one ever said to me when I was young was, what do you want the day to look like? What does a typical work day look like for you? Or if you're thinking about a certain career, ask what your day looks like and what your career looks like and what it looks like day in and day out. I mean, I think it's way more than income. It's about uh, job satisfaction and being able to maintain a family life if you want to or be happily married if you want to. Or if, if you want to be a chairman of a department, do you want to have children? Is that doable? You know, I would I would sort of ask the questions about their life as much as their profession to make sure they all fit together. What are some of the key qualities that someone must have to be successful in your business? As a physician? As a physician, yeah. And also a business owner. I mean, organization, responsibilities, those are obviously obvious. Right. But th- there's got to be a deeper quality that makes you a unique candidate to do your your field to be a physician you have to um, really be a high achieving human mm-hmm. you know you want to have to get a's the has learning has to be something that you thrive on I think you have to be competitive you know you have to want to want to win at the game of being a doctor you know like I want to get a's I want to get a good grade on that test I want to uh, get there early um, there's a certain drive that you need to to get into medical school and to get through medical school because uh, it's intense. It's very intense and yet very rewarding. But I mean, I think there's certain ingredients you have to have or you just don't think you would make it. And simple things like showing up on time, you know, being accountable, not not canceling on things. All of those things really matter when it comes to going to professional school. Um, owning your own business, um, I think it's accountability to self. You know, I, you have to pay taxes. You have to get your bills in on time. If you ask your employees to have a certain standard, you have to live by that standard. You know, to be a boss means you have to live by the standard you expect from your employees. So um, I think there's a great responsibility in being a boss. Uh, I enjoy it. Sometimes Frankly, I'd rather be in the lunchroom chatting about recipes with everybody else. But I, when you're the boss, I think you have to leave them alone and let them have their fun time and kind of distance yourself and be the boss to oversee to make sure everybody's doing what they need to do. So it is somewhat of a lonely walk being the owner of a business because you're in charge. You have to you have to be the boss and not be one of the you know workers who gets to complain about the boss. You know, right? The buck stops with you. Yeah. 
So what drives your success or what is your big why in life? That's a really tough question, Mary. Um, I think it's, uh, someone once told me that you have to have a fire in your belly for this kind of thing. I don't think motivation and passion is something someone gives you. I think it's, it's inside of you. Um, I think our challenge is to notice it and to believe in yourself. I think a lot of us have desire, passion, but to follow through with that has to do with a certain inner strength that you go, I think I can do this. I, I think I can succeed. Um, and where that came from, I, I'm really not certain. You know, I have, uh, I don't think I, I was, it was really from within. Something inside of me really wanted to make a difference for women. And, um, and I had the courage to do it. Maybe courage is the key. Hmm. So what would you tell people who, or women who have self-doubt? I mean, everyone has it in different degrees. So mm-hmm. when you're feeling challenged, but yet you know you should be at the end of success, um, but someone either some, you feel some external force is trying to knock you down or it's just going outside your comfort zone more than you're ever used to. What words of encouragement would you tell those people? I think you have to be willing to take chances in life that may not succeed and not look at failure as the end, but just looking at if you take a chance and it doesn't work, get up and try again at something different. I mean, I think, I think we all have, you know, have had times where we've tried something, it didn't work. I mean, um, I didn't get into medical school the first time I tried. And if that had been, um, I always think about, you know, I tried again the next year and it's mostly because I didn't have good mentors to explain to me what the process was like. I didn't handle it right the first time, but the second time around I gave it everything I had. And had I not done that, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I think, I think you have to be willing to fall down a few times along the way. But if you have that inner conviction to keep going, and, you know, I also think, I don't know if it's unique to women. I listen to women more than men all day. There's this inner voice that wants to take you down and that self-doubt, that self-critic. I think we have to quiet that voice. I mean, everybody has it, but I think we have to convert that voice into an I can, I will, and get some key friends that feed that voice. And I, you know, I think we have to be around people that, feed the side of us that loves ourselves that can grow and flourish and if we're around people that don't feed that side of ourselves try to surround yourself with people that empower you so when you don't feel empowered you can lean on them great advice what are you most proud of Uh, my children it's pretty easy to look at them and just go wow you know how did I do that (laughs) it's uh (laughs) Also, I mean, they're just amazing humans, and um, I'm just really proud to be their mother. Um, The other thing is my surgical abilities is something I take great pride in, uh, where I can transform uh, someone's body with my hands and do surgery and stitch them up and put a bandage on it and say, wow, look, I did that. You know, uh, it was great satisfaction to me. 
Okay, just a couple more questions left as we yeah. turn the corner here. Um, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? I'd probably say, don't worry what you look like in a bathing suit. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't I love to uh, go to a beach in my 20-year-old body? Um, I know, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I think... Uh, dare to be bold and um, be kind to yourself and forgive yourself mistakes, you know, but um, I think that, you know, we have so much doubt, self-doubt in our 20s that um, it really isn't necessary. So I think, I think probably embrace yourself, you know, celebrate yourself. That's probably what I tell my 20-year-old self. That's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much yeah. for being my guest today. Where can women yeah. find out about you, connect with you? I have a website, uh, drngyn.com, Uh I have a clinic in Lake Oswego, Oregon. Phone number 503-908-1646. It's Dr. Nancy Salisbury, better known as Dr. NGYN. Wonderful. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for listening to the episode today. It was really fun chatting with my guest. If you liked our show, please like it and share it with your friends. If you want to learn what we're up to, please go check out our website at 2bboulder.com. That's the number two, little b, boulder.com.